Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kathy Polachko, Senior Vice President and Global Automotive Lead for GP Strategies. I'm joined today by my co-host, Dave Zukowski, Chief Strategy Officer for United Digital, who serves as a member of the GP Strategies Automotive Advisory Board, and our guest, Tim Bergstrom, President and CEO of Bergstrom Automotive. We've come together today to talk about how OEMs and dealers can win the war for talent together. Tim, welcome. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here with you and Dave. Thank you. So, Tim, I, I'd love to start with you. First of all, a, a big congratulations. Uh, for 2021, you had 11 dealerships listed in the Automotive News Best Dealerships to Work For. Um, and I know that you and your father have always placed great emphasis on having a strong, positive employee culture. So I'm, I'm curious, and to get the conversation started, how does focusing on employees benefit your business? Can you talk a little bit about that? I must start and say, you know, I... It goes to when Dan and I start talking, it really has a lot less to do with us and more so to do with our team and our managers and our leaders. We, we help create the environment or the culture, but they do a whole lot of the heavy lifting. And uh, my father uh, has worked in this business his whole life and has, has encouraged us and, and, and uh, focused us on taking care of the guests. And along the way, it's been amazing to watch the amount of respect people have in him. Um, and that respect has now transferred to a really a respect of, of everybody on the team. Um, when, when I look at it as I was a kid, it would be, oh, my goodness, you know, John Bergstrom walked into the room and I was so proud to be his son. And now, you know, it, it's more... Uh, you know, somebody from Bergstrom Automotive is here. You know, they 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 have their their name uh, badge on. They have they're representing the brand, and people are like, "Wow, we get the opportunity to work with people from Bergstrom," and that's really been a cool transition for us. And so, I when I when I read your comment saying, "What could we talk about today?" Uh, really, I think the biggest switch in all of this, and the biggest switch for our success for for you know earning this recognition this past year was really allowing the team to have control and creating an environment where they took ownership in it. And, you know, we give them the principles, we give them the insight, but uh, do you know the, the individual named Jason Dorsey? Do you, have you ever listened to Jason? I, I think we've all listened to him at some point. And I remember him telling stories about the dime or the quarter that people worked for and how things have changed and it's not your father's world anymore and how we can't understand millennials. I think one thing hasn't changed. Millennials have always wanted to um, take pride in what they do. And when you stand back from it, that's all anyone wants. It's just a different lens on how we do it. Dave, Dave you know who I'm talking about when I talk about Jason Dorsey and, and some of his words. Yeah, it, it's and he really values uh, people. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of things that influence dealer success. And I've probably walked into a thousand dealerships over the course of my 40 years in the business. And I, I swear that within five to 10 minutes of walking into the store, you can get an immediate sense of the culture of that store. You can just tell that they're taking pride in what they're doing, that they like one another, that, you know, it's just, it, it's amazing to me. And, and you know, so it's in every business, right? 
It, it really is. Not and, just, it's in every business. Yeah. And in, 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 in our business, and it's interesting because we look at dealers from all different brands and recruit dealers from all different brands. And there's a lot of things that influence dealer success. It's the brand you sell. There's a lot of really good uh, Honda dealers that maybe wouldn't be good dealers selling something else. And and the market you're in, selling F-Series Fords in Texas, it makes it a little bit easier than some other markets. And, and you know, the, the location and appearance of your facility, there's lots of things that drive and influence success. But, but the one thing to me that is most uh, consistently defined a high-performing dealership is the absence of high turnover and correspondingly the presence of highly tenured employees that have been retained in key positions across the dealership. And I don't mean general managers. I'm talking about techs. I'm talking about key salespeople. It's when you go into a store and you've got a lot of people that have been there for years and customers are coming back and talking to those people and they know them and they trust them. By definition, it's no longer about price. It's not transactional. It's a relationship based. And that's the premise for a highly performing store. And it just, it doesn't matter what the market conditions are like. It doesn't matter what brand you're selling. I mean, I mean, uh, Tim's stores are, they have brands all over the board and they won, they won awards at Automotive News for all different brands. And it, because it's not about the product, it's about the people. Tim, I think you represent just about every brand that's available in the United States. Last time I checked, maybe save three of them. We, we have all the volume ones. We just don't do the niche ones. Um, I think the state of Wisconsin, and we're only in the state of Wisconsin. So I think last registration report I, I saw, there were six Ferraris sold in the state of Wisconsin. So I don't think we need to represent them. Um, but, but everything else, we're very proud of that um, to represent that. Dave, you, you reminded me often of, of, we tell stories. Storytelling is, is kind of fun on, on how we deliver messaging to our team. And, and in those storytelling, you can come up with analogies. And we're, we're in the land of the Green Bay Packers, right? We, but Lambeau is an amazing venue. We're very proud of the venue and it's, it's kept clean. It represents the team. It represents the brand extremely well. But the stadium has never won a game. And we, we, we share this with our team over and over. It's that energy of, of what's on the field. It's the energy of the team. And so much of it is that ownership that that player takes in doing their job well. And so, again, we talk about those um, sports analogies. And, and when a team is having fun, I mean, when they're having fun on the field, you see them winning. You talk about the flow. You talk about – and when you look at any business out there, you can tell – you can walk into a coffee shop and figure out if it's a successful one or not. Uh, just, by, just by the smiles behind the counter – how they interact with each other, how they interact with their, their, their clients walking in using their name and that. I mean, it just, you can feel it. You, that word feel resonated with me, Dave. Yeah. I read a book years ago called the boys in the boat. Yes. My dad made us all read that one. It's a great book. And it's about the crew team at University of Washington. I'm a University of Washington graduate. And it's about, they get into this, uh, this period of time called 
you're in the swing, right? Everything is going right. Everybody is cohesive. Everybody's rowing together and you break records and win gold medals. And to me, when you walk into a high performing store like Bergstrom organization, it's a group that's in the swing. They've got it all working. Everybody works together, not against each other. And it's just, it's a magical place to get to, but it's, it's tough to replicate. You can't fake it. You, you can't say things that you want a great culture. You gotta, you gotta show how to do that. You, you definitely have to learn. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. So I, that book was painful for me to read though. There were some parts that were very mechanical to me, yeah. but my dad loved that book. And, and there's about 10 more that align that same thought process, but that, that flow, that swing that, yeah, it's, I think we all get it. Anyone listening gets that. Yep. I think you're right. So, so Tim, I'm curious, obviously, you know, here we are, the beginning of 2022, we're, we're, we're in the midst of, you know, another resurgence of, of the virus that we've all been dealing with. And we recognize that employees are the lifeblood of any business, that having productive, happy employees is an essential ingredient to a winning business strategy. You're proving that over and over again. But automotive retail has always been challenged and, and, and often a maligned field of work. It's, it's, you know, it's, it ranks down there with, uh, you know, some of the undesirable professions, but it can be so rewarding and it presents such limitless opportunities for those who have a fire in their belly. Right now, the industry is facing some pretty strong headwinds. Um, you know, we have this thing, whether it's COVID or not made, uh, the great resignation where well over 20 million people quit their jobs in the second half of 2021. And, and you know, when, when the work when the worker isn't changing, the work is, you know, we're seeing all this tra- technology come into the place. We've got skills gap. We've got people retiring. We've got, we need salespeople who embrace digital. We need service technicians who are, you know, working on increasingly computerized and electrified vehicles. Kind of how is this all playing out in your market? How, uh, what, what's Church. happening in Appleton, Wisconsin? Are you seeing a lot of this or is your culture kind of insulated you from some of this? All right. So you baked a lot into that question. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and take it apart in pieces. You know, I, the first thing is, is change is inevitable, right? Change is always happening. Otherwise, we'd still have dinosaurs walking on this earth. And there's always going to be change. And it's those of us that try and figure out how to embrace it and change with it and, and stay ahead of it. And it, it, it is, for me, when I was, was thinking about prepping for talking to you today, it's not really the staffing headwinds at all. It's, it's the opportunity for those that want to do it right. And uh, I uh, had a quick meeting uh, with a couple restaurateurs in the area last night. And it's amazing. You talk to these um, leaders and, and they were both men and women and they're engaged with their teams. Their teams are having fun coming to work and, and, they're, they're fluff with people or full with people. They've, they've got their staffs fully engaged in the restaurant business. And then you hear about how restaurants are, are struggling across the board and the world, it's kind of like CSI. If I talk about CSI, everybody can say there's a problem with CSI out there. It's not right. It's got its challenges, but it's the, it's the game we get to play in. And so it's just, how do you play that game? And so in our market, um, we aren't just thinking about the car business. We aren't just thinking about car business employees. We're, we're truly thinking about um, our teammates as give them ownership, let them understand what they're involved in and let them run with it. You know, it, it's not, 
you, you have to be here bell to bell, eight to eight. I mean, I, I can remember starting with my dad, we were here at seven 30 and we went home if we were lucky at nine o'clock when we closed, or maybe we'd go till 10. And our dealerships right now are closing at seven o'clock and we're selling more cars in a shorter period of time, letting team have flexible schedule. Now, does that mean they don't have to come into work? No. Does it mean they don't have a schedule that we know is happening? No, but we, we give them enough ownership that they can figure out how to help us take care of the guest. Then we have them help us solve the riddle when it comes to, we got to be here for the guest. Help us, help us solve how the hours work. I, gosh, I can remember a time when it wasn't uh, appropriate to let somebody go pick up their kids from school or maybe even watch their kids uh, basketball game. And, and those things just don't cut it anymore. And if, if you want to get out of this industry of, uh, the only guest that's out there is the one that walks through the show floor and you realize it's about relationships. You you can add that flexibility. They can leave and go have dinner with their kids and come back and work for two hours. And it, for us right now, it's, it's going quite well. You know, I, I want to knock on wood. So um, we don't, you know, something doesn't change tomorrow, but we aren't seeing the turnover. We're seeing a lot of change. And we're seeing our team ask for more engagement, more control, more, how do I go forward uh, and running my job rather than what I would liken back to the car industry paid you a lot of money because there, because you had a lot of hours and a lot of takeaways and you were never at the, the family event. You were never at 4th of July. So therefore, when you missed it, you had to always have the excuse, well, I'm in the car business and I make a lot of money. Yeah. Now you can be at that 4th of July event and and now you can you can be shut down at different periods, but still be there for your guests. And I hope I'm making sense. I, I think I'm I'm connecting some dots. It it maybe make it worse when you talk in extremes. It helps make things better. Henry Ford made the world so much better by having a production line, and you know you did the same thing every single day working on it. And today, giving our team the flexibility where they can send a video of look at, I just worked on your car and I did a great job. And they take the ownership of saying, look, the repair I did and sending it to a guest and that pride that comes with it. And then the next day they can do something different or 10 minutes later, they can do something different. That whole ownership of not being measured by every single second, every single metric. So often for us to say, how do we get better at internet close ratios? We're going to measure response time to the exact second rather than educating our team on how to build a personal relationship and how to respond like that's an actual person, not one of 10 leads. Right. Boy, I, I don't know, Dave, I, I feel like I, I took a, a whole lot of question and, and made it even messier. No, I, I think you nailed it. Um, I, I, my belief is that generally, whether it's automotive or anywhere, generally people don't leave for more pay or better benefits. That's not why they leave. They leave because they want to be listened to. They want to have a voice in how the how the business is run. They want to have input. They want to have, and this is, I think, one, I think where you may really excel as some dealers don't get it. I, I think they want to have um, ongoing training and development opportunities so they can develop themselves. And, and that also means having a sometimes a fairly clear-cut career path. I love it when there's stores that you talk to a salesman and he started as a porter and moved his way up or or somebody moved up uh, to, a, to a technician. And 
And, you know, you get generations of families working at the same store and, and, and you don't get that by, by overpaying. You get that by listening and providing opportunities and hiring from within and giving them a vision of if I do well here, I can go here. And then all of a sudden you're making internal hires versus going out and trying to hire people from the outside, which sends this is just a terrible message to the organization, right? Absolutely. I uh, remember when we were all individual dealerships within Berkshire Automotive, you had to wait for the manager to pass away or do something really stupid and get fired or um, retire in order to get that position. And now as, as one dealership group working as one team, one brand, the, the clear cut path doesn't have to be in one straight line either. Um, we see them, you know, testing other leaders out and, Again, I used to use the mentality of the grass isn't always greener. You can't go there. Um, but now giving some flexibility when somebody is starting to burn out in a role, allowing them to, to absolutely just say, hey, we want you here. We see the value here. We can explain this to you. But if you want to try there, that's okay too. And it's an internal transfer. But we're also going to make them aware of what we're both working on. And when they make that internal transfer, sometimes they come right back. Rather than, you know what, you, you're looking elsewhere and, and you have to fit this exact box and we're going to hold you to the box. Nobody, nobody's ever wanted to be treated. How do you get defined and fit in a box? And in today's world, that box needs to just get rid of the sides and, and let people be much more flexible. Absolutely. Uh, I stumped you there. I think you're like, where the heck is he going? I don't know. No, no, no. It, it, it's so crazy to me how many of our advisors, you know, were at one store and have found a different team where they have their swagger and they're having fun at work. And then they say, you know, the grass is greener and I want to go somewhere else. My old school way would have said, stay there, love the one you're with, don't move. And now we're like, okay, go, you can move over there. And then they go over there and go, wait a minute, I don't have my relationships Maybe it was kind of a lot greener back here and they learn for themselves or sometimes it's a great fit. Um, and and it it's crazy to think the stuff we did two, three, four, five years ago where we're impacting it from it now because there's there's these all these internal connections that took place. And, and I, I can't even keep track of them anymore because um, one individual worked at this store and then from Porter, he went went to working in the service drive and from the service drive, he decided he was, he was going to step up to an ASM and, and he's bumped around a few stores. Well, he's made all these relationships within our company and those relationships allow people to have not only pride, but, but um, patience when it doesn't always go their way with some of their fellow teammates or when somebody's having a bad day at work and treat them poorly. They're like, well, wait a minute. You know, I remember you used to do this for me or you did this for me. And there's just an extra set of glue that way. Yeah, I agree. So, so Tim, one of the things that I hear you, the, the message that I hear coming loud and clear from what you're saying is this notion that everybody understanding why they're doing what they're doing. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. You yes, know, right. Uh, you know, start with why. infinite gaming is not a bad book. Yeah. Uh, leaders eat last and why. So. And and it's, and, and, I, you know, I know you're, that first of all, I know you're a huge book fan. I've been in your <laughs> office. I've seen the piles of books. I forgot you're up your good memory. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and so it really feels to me like you as a leader are informing and inspiring your teams. And I'm curious, how does that affect how you look at your management team? What's the role of managers in your organization and in today's modern retailing environment? What does that look like? So it's interesting. We used to manage to the numbers and always manage to the numbers. Now we're, we're managing them as coaches. And we, we've changed terminology and titles and got rid of sales managers. You know, you know Kathy, we, we went away from um, kind of the road to this sale and negotiating and all the, the, that part of our world. And we made this big transition into one point of contact and, and one pricing. But in doing that, the biggest thing we wanted to do was take our managers slash deal closers and turn them into coaches. So we're spending so much more time on how do we help people understand why they're doing what they're doing and how it helps with the results. And then rather than just measuring this results on a, a very, you know, for forever, we did that uh, microscope of you made five calls today and did you get three of them to show up and did it and turned it into what are smart behaviors? How do we get you? Uh, elegant is not the right word, but, but more, you know, almost like this interview is it, it's it's more talking to a friend than it is trying to follow a script and that whole Henry Ford follow a script do the same thing every day we're breaking down and so our managers have to help with that coaching um, but that, that also requires Tim a completely different skill set in people you're you're recruiting right I mean when we used to live in a negotiating environment those were uh, those were the skills that everybody wanted. Now you're in a relationship-based selling system, and you need people that that can communicate, that are comfortable around people, that tell a good. They're good storytellers. To your earlier comment, I can remember going around and and going to a restaurant and having just a great waiter or waitress, and and going to Nordstrom and getting some shoes and have a phenomenal guy waiting on me on shoes. And I, I sit there and talk to him. I said, "Have you ever given any thought?" about about selling cars. I mean, I'm in the car business and you would be phenomenal. Oh no, no, I'd never do that. I said it's it's you got a great way about you. You're talented, you're eloquent and articulate. You would be phenomenal. So it's just to me it's not I, my guess is one of your secrets is you haven't uh recruited uh traditional automotive people. You've probably been very successful attracting people who normally wouldn't be uh bothered by a career in the retail automotive business. And to me that's the key. We have hired more people from Starbucks in the last yeah. uh, few years than any other employer out there. Yeah, that's um, and young, energetic, that want to serve a guest and take care of them, um, and then just train them the benefits of how we do it. It's you're you're 100 right on that. Have you heard the name Horst Schulze? God, I feel like I'm name dropping, but <laughs> no, I don't. Horst Schulze, um, he. <laughs> not going to do him justice, but Mercedes Benz had him come speak to all their dealers a number of years ago. And uh, he, he started a, a restaurant or a hotel chain that everybody would know if I don't. Know. And he's incredibly smart, incredibly gifted. He just came out with a new book called Excellence. And it's his second one. And both of them are, are spot on. It's purely engaging, allowing your team to do what they think is right with the guest and just letting them do it, and it builds the relationships. Yep. And it gives them points of pride on different things that they can do. I, 
I don't know why I want to keep bringing Marquette University into this conversation. Maybe because I went there and the Jesuits, you know, made quite an impact on me saying, you know, follow the rules and keep your ethics. But last night I watched Marquette play and this, this head coach that they brought in, it's his first year, soccer smart. He's right in, in the huddle and he's talking about integrity and trust your teammates right in the middle of the game. You, you don't. And then you look at the opposing coach and he's sitting there saying, why didn't you pass the ball? And why didn't, why didn't you dribble to this corner? And it was a very different engagement. One, I would say, was the way things were being done 20 years ago. And one is the way we're doing things today. And he's a tremendous example. And when we talk about coaching, you know, he talks about pop. He's, he's got a brilliant wife. She's, she's better than he is. If you ever need a speaker, we've never had her speak, but I should have her speak. She went to Harvard. She's brilliant. And she's got two things that have really resonated with me that he quotes her on. One is you got to look for pop. And that's points of pride, where all of your team can take points of pride. And, and if somebody says, why do you work there or why that they don't even have to think about it. They've got their own, not ones you put in their head, but they can answer that question. The second one and, and that point of pride, you know, you got to dig deep. This is when let's let's get three more escalates out the door today kind of thing. How can we help find it? Where can you find it? and listen to your team? And then the second thing she says is win anyways. The environment we're in, the short-staffed we're in, all of that, just find a way to win anyways. doesn't matter that the refs made a bad call, win anyways. And so in today's environment with our coaches, one of the, one of the biggest misses I completely missed and should have, should have seen in retrospect, it's 2020 hindsight, um, when I thought about our finance managers, we rolled them in. We you know, certainly didn't want to let anyone go that didn't earn to be let go. We, we wanted – and we – as a growing company that needs to put people elsewhere. But when you talked about that skill set, so many of those in the finance office, you know, they, they were um, hand to mouth, you know, hunters, you know, their, their job was to kind of hit that home run. And, and we've changed this philosophy to, to kind of win as a team and we don't need great big margins or great big home runs. We just need every day taking care of the guests that were, you know, we're getting first downs all day long. And those finance managers that we had in that office, some of them made the switch, which was awesome. And some of them, like you said, you really reminded me, it's a different skill set. And um, a lot of those people were, were individual people. That was the type of person we needed in that box. Yeah. What's funny to me is, is you know, you, you go into a dealership and they think of things as different processes. So you're landing them on a car, you're qualifying them, you're closing them, and that's a, that's a separate process. Now you want to get them in the box, and, and you, you, that's a, that's another process. Well, the consumer doesn't look at it that way, right? So so they think they've gone through all the hard work, and now they're going into the box, and they're really going to get worked, right? So that's not consumer friendly. So so what you're doing to me, you need a compliance manager to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. You need your sales person as a single point of contact to offer finance options as well as talk about the car. And to me, what happens is you end up streamlining 
the, the organizational structure of a dealership. You remove a lot of less productive, higher paid uh, heads, and you empower the people that are on the line doing the job, make their job better, which in turn allows you to attract better people and retain better people and pay them better. So, so it's a it's a virtuous circle, I think. And, and a lot of folks still haven't got that because it's tough to let go of something that's worked for you for 100 years, right? We, we could spend with me a whole day on that topic that you just said, the things we learned. You know, I, I really didn't understand how big that bottleneck was. And Saturdays were our biggest, busiest day when we were negotiating and when we had finance managers. And now um, it's become just like any other day. Monday's our busiest day because in Wisconsin, Blue Lodge, you close on Sundays. Um, and now there's this flow. There isn't all these deliveries at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, because you don't have the bottleneck of finance. Right. It's, and there isn't with, without us having to negotiate, there isn't that big close at the end of the month when you, you kind of need that. This is the best deal I can offer you before the month ends. You know, day one for us now, you know, January one was one of our, our best days. Um, uh, or January two, I should say, because, you know, we were closed for, and all of a sudden it just kicked into gear rather than that normal hangover for a week. And then we used to have to staff for the high points and we'd give all that terrible treatment. We made everybody work on Saturdays. We made everybody work on month ends. And I have horror stories of, you know, general managers skipping their sister's wedding and things like that. And today with, with leveling, not having, the box and the finance managers and all that bottleneck, we can staff for our high point. You just never have the high watermark is never where it was. And we're selling more cars. Yeah. The lows are less and the highs are less. And you just have a really steady, even like a restaurant. If you have 12 tables to fill you during your, during your night of serving those 12 tables, you just constantly keep full. It's, yeah. it's been pretty good. You know, Tim, what it what I'm hearing is you're doing a much better job or you're focusing more on managing the business versus managing the customer. Correct. And you're you're letting the salespeople Great way of putting it. You're letting the salespeople have that relationship with the customer. They're truly helping the customer discover what's right for them. They're facilitating a process versus trying to control a process. So you you have an empowered staff, you have managers that are coaches. And it's all humming along just really beautifully. So, so we've all seen the stats on how long it takes of a, of a guest to buy a car um, in a dealership where they can spend up to seven hours in the dealership and they average four hours and four hours without somebody talking to them and the, those stats in our industry. The uh, beautiful is too strong a word, but the, the key that got all of a sudden unlocked was our salespeople got rid of that tension of what do I do when I need to make that person wait? Because somebody spending this kind of money doesn't want to wait. And it doesn't matter if it's a used car guest with $12,000 to spend or a BMW guest spending a hundred, they don't, their time is important to them. And anytime you tell them they're not important, sit right here where I go talk to my manager or sit right here while we wait for the finance man, sit, sit, sit. And that stress wears on people. So when your salesperson can truly say, let's find the right car, let's sell you the right car, let's, let's just do it all together, and it, you don't have that tension, they're going home happier and they, they, they're feeling better. And 
again, this is not a plug for, for <laughs> one point of contact, one price, but we really unlock the keys to that when that salesperson goes home or that sales associate goes home, if the guest calls in or stops in, we already know where we are in the, in the deal and that sale. We don't have to bother them at home. We can just take care of it and keep moving it forward. And so they truly can have their off time when they want it. And for a while, that happened a lot at the beginning. But now that they're in so much control of taking care of that guest the way the guest wants to take care of it and can personalize it to them, the guest doesn't come in frustrated when that person's on their day off. They've already worked through when they can do it. And there's one less barrier of the barrier of you know, when they can get into the finance office or how long they have to wait till they're in there. Or it, it's just... It, once you take the tension out of it for your team, it's easy to bring other people in. And we, we're, we're using a cheat right now in that these delivery coordinators that everybody needed to have for a while, um, when we would advertise for sales associate or guest experience associate, whatever we named it, we wouldn't, people wouldn't come, whatever was up with the industry, or you blame it on whatever you want. But for a delivery specialist, we've been able to bring so many in because there's no negative connotations with it because they don't know what it is. And then as soon as they're there, three months later, they're selling cars with us and uh, doing a great job. Um, It's we're having a fun run right now. I don't know why we're leaning so much towards sales, probably because I like sales, but service. We're having a lot of a lot of gains in, too. Um, and well, we thanks had, for going there. Cause I was going to ask, how does this all transcend into, into the fixed operations side? Yeah. So I think that's where the biggest shortage is for everybody right now. Um, and I, I think we all understand that as an industry, we get why, um, and there's a lot of stress because of shortages of parts and getting cars fixed and that, and there's a lot of, uh, transparency and openness that's now coming into the service department which is allowing us to bring other people in. Um, we, again, telling stories like that, that we learn from or using analogies. I would say a doctor was the technician and um, the advisor was the nurse that had to help schedule it or, or do the easy work on it. Um, and then you had the scheduler that was trying to get you in so we could maximize the time with the doctor. Now, why the the actual doctor, the technicians working on the car, they can be taking pictures and videos and sharing it right with the guest. And now there's an immediate trust factor with the guest. And then it it takes a different skill set. The service advisor no longer has to really explain what's going on when we can show that there's no brake pad left, or we can show that, you know, here's the nail in the tire. Transparency is a wonderful thing to reduce tension and took a lot of stress out of our service drives. Um, and it's working for us. And, and so right now, all we're doing is grooming, training and, and growing our uh, technicians. And we have the highest ratio we've, we've had, at least in my tenure, uh, of uh, trainee rookie technicians going through school, working with a mentor. Um, and it's, it's fun to see the mentors in the past never wanted to do it because the kid it, it just didn't work out. Six months later, they quit and everybody's mad at each other. And a mentor was trying to figure out why they spent so much time with them. Now with this transparency, the, the, the mentee is saying, here, I'll show you how to do the video or we can, we can send it to the guests this way. And they're kind of teaching each other. 
And again, the stress load's coming out and our trainees are sticking in the technician world. Um, and maybe the world has just changed a little bit. We all were going through a period where a piece of paper called a college diploma was everything that, that it had to be. And now people are saying, I want to enjoy coming to work. I want to make a good living. I want to provide for my family and have some neat experiences in life. Not necessarily I have to have that diploma. So, so Tim, you, you hit on something that I think is really interesting, and that is you're really embracing technology to uh, empower your staff and create transparency with your consumers. And it feels to me like what you're creating is a, a whole lot more of a trusting environment overall. Am, am I reading that right? Yep. We call it the five T's. Um, people buy from companies they trust. You know, I, if I buy from Amazon, I trust that it's going to be here in three days if it says it's going to be there. The easiest way to build trust is with transparency. Um, if, if you show transparency and you build trust, the thing you're going to save everybody is time. You're shortest on time. Um, and then none of us want to be a number. So we want a tailored experience. Mm. So again, in my household, we have two Amazon accounts, one for my wife, one for me. Don't know why we have two, but we do. I can tell you when the computer is logged in under her and I am in my Amazon, want to order something. I know right away it's her Amazon account because it's school supplies and kids clothing. And if I'm in mine, it's hunting equipment or, um, you know, supplies for, for, for hunting or fishing. So you can get a tailored approach with technology. Um, and then the final one, what I said, there's five T's. The final one is training. Our team really appreciates when you invest in them. And so we use that, those five T's with any of our team on how to treat each other, how to treat as coaches, your team, people work for companies they trust be transparent, you know, Simon Sinek, the whole start with why. This is why we do it this way. And it's it's a real simple formula for us. Um, and we use it time and time again. So so Tim, where where are your OEM partners in in all of this? How are how are they supporting you uh and, and how are they enabling what you're doing? That's an interesting question and we're going down probably an interesting Whole, um, we really believe we don't exist um, if we don't add value. So our manufacturers build these things. They manufacture cars and we add value by supplying a team that can take care of all the, the questions from the guests. We, we have a symbiotic relationship with them. So we like working with them and the training and getting our team so they know the product really well. They know how to fix the product. We embrace working with them. Um, and at a, on a regular basis, we're just trying to figure out how we provide the right caliber of team and use our partner to help us train them up to take care and represent them. Um, you know, we, we have nothing to sell if we don't have a manufacturing partner. It, it's just that simple. We, we have to embrace working with them. Now with COVID and getting locked out from each other and doing a lot of other things going on, it, it's an interesting time for them. Um, but they're, they're adapting and training with us. Um, so much of what we do, we lo- we've learned from our manufacturers. You, you heard me speak about Horst Schultze and um, 
Jason Dorsey, you know, we, we found him through Lexus and uh, Gary Vanichuk, we found through Toyota and built a real, all of these people, our manufacturers get it. Uh, and I look at them as trying to educate us and give us the opportunity to do more with it. Um, where we always get into a little bit of a, where, where's the line, where's the payroll come from at the end of the day? Cause I believe the payroll does come from the manufacturer because if we don't have anything to sell, we can't have margin on it to pay them. But when they start paying our team, we, we always get trying to figure out which one who's on first there. That's always a dicey one for us. I was going to, I would have bet the, bet the ranch that, that, that you would have had issues with, with OEMs getting involved in pay plans, whether it's sales manager overrides or salesperson spins or whatever it is, because that's your job and that disrupts your pay plan. And I learned a very difficult lesson once that, and this was back when Hyundai wasn't the same franchise it is now. And we, the, the best way to, to retain salespeople and and sell an, a new Hyundai versus a used alternative was to provide a great uh, star and center program for the salespeople, right? Agreed. And, and what we found out was, and it did. We we they focused on new vehicles. They focused on Hyundai where they might not have otherwise. But what I found out it, very difficult and very expensive was that the dealers are very adaptive creatures and they quickly figured out that they're going to adjust their pay plans. And so even though our comp was very high from an OEM perspective, it was equaled out when you looked at a dealer's statement in terms of commission percent of gross, they just made adjustments. So so it's it's a, it's a little bit of a slippery slope going there. And if if I, I believe the, your, your point about understanding uh, swim lanes between the, the the relationship between OEM and retailer is is really important. And the OEM builds the vehicles, they warrant the vehicles, and I've always said we 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 aren't McDonald's. We don't sell you a franchise. We award you a franchise based on your ability to provide us with a great facility and great marketing and a trained sales force and trained technicians to repair the cars. And so each and one of us has a swim lane. And when you start getting into the other swim lane is where it gets a little bit difficult. But but the one thought I have, we've been struggling with what you have mastered, the ability to attract and retain really good people. And, and it has driven outstanding results at you. And I would say probably 20% of the stores get it and value people and understand the cost of turnover. And, and I've always thought that, you know, high performing uh, stores always get accused of, man, I'd love to work there because they pay more than anybody else. The reality is they, they can afford to have a better pay plan because they're not spending all that, all that money in churn and onboarding and training costs. So you may actually have a higher pay, but your overall compensation may be lower because of your strategy. So, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really important balance in terms of what role the OEM plays in um, the dealership and their dealership employees. There's no doubt about that, but I just think the OEM can spend a little bit of time cascading um, really good best practice training on what's the best way to retain. How do we assess people when we're talking to them? Let's do personality testing. Uh, what's the best way to onboard them? You know, how do, what's a good development plan for retention purposes? So there hasn't been much of that. And I think there, there, that may be a gray area that can, that can be collaborated between dealers and retailers going forward. If I can circle back to some of the comments you made and how it fits in our world, you know, Ted Crable, I think you have him coming up on one of your podcasts. We were introduced to him by BMW when they were uh, having us, uh, 
was it? What was it? Delta Trends at the time. I think now it's ESI Trends. Yep. And and he he and his team did a wonderful job for our our company. You know, Kathy, I I met you through Lexus. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it if you look at, I'm going to use the NFL as an example. You know, the NFL tries to help. You know, set some rules. This is how the teams act. This is how the and so. I look at that as a manufacturer. You could take it now one more step down and say, look at the Packers. You know, Mark Murphy, the president of the Packers, sets some basic rules and pay plans and that. But he doesn't go into the locker room. He he lets Matt LaFleur coach in the locker room. And so I liked your swim lanes analogy. They, we can work together. Yep. They can help set the culture. They can they can work side by side and we don't have to be opposed. I, I use the term partners, but you can use it as stakeholders, but it is truly a relationship where we're, we're in this together. Man, if our industry could change the image um, by doing it the right way, um, that would be a wonderful gift to, I would say my kids and anyone else's kids hopefully going to be in this business someday. Absolutely. Well, I think that's what the three of us have in common. Uh, And the reason this conversation has been so great is because I think we all see the potential in the industry and what it can be. And Tim, I love what you're doing with your organization. I I think you are setting an example for what is possible when you empower your employees and you empower your customers and you get out of their way. And and that's exactly what you've done and, and you're reaping the benefits of it. And I think that's just terrific. And I think that's going to help you as we continue to transform as an industry. Um, I think that's going to help you stay on, on top and have more, you know, great places to work for. Well, right now it's, it's a complicated industry, but all boats can float. And we're a little bit worried about the rust that might be getting on us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't get brilliant overnight. You know, the, the market's doing what it's doing. And so, you know, we, our HR team is twice the size it was two years ago, and it has nothing to do with what we're doing for recruiting. It has everything to do with what we're trying to do for training and, and getting back to, you know, full circle to, to Dave's comment on being able to get in that boat and all, all pull on the oars at the same time and be in the swing together. And uh, we, we can't think, you know, times are good right now and they'll last forever. It's, it's not that. And we're going to spend more money uh, in our company on those five T's than we are on the hiring process. And I, I think the problem with, with trying to measure turnover and costs is it's such a big number. It's hard for us to even believe it. We just, we can't even believe how big a number it is. And uh, I think anyone in our industry, no matter how much they reduce the turnover, there's still more than, than uh, we'd like to have until maybe it's a, close to almost a zero number. Um, you know, I, we always talk about our business was started by treating our guests like family. Uh, you know, that our whole mission is, is we want to be the recognized leader of guest service with commitment to treat everyone like family. I don't remember the last time we, we termed somebody out of my family. And if we could get to that next bar where we were so small numbers in our company, and the only ones that left us were the ones that were getting to, to go do something better or greater with their lives. And, and they're proud of the step that they did here. That's, that's when we achieve next level. At least that's, that's what we're thinking about with our business. 
That's that's just awesome. So it sounds like for you, solving the industry problem of being able to recruit good talent and retain good talent is all in trust, trusting your people and developing them to their fullest potential. Oh, you nailed it. And and when when our team is having fun at work, they they go to the, the cocktail party or the family get together and they say, I'm proud to work here because of this. And it's not, I get a big paycheck. And then why don't you come work with me? I, I, I fell into it um, kind of by mistake. I always struggled with telling people they couldn't hire a family member to work with them at work. Because if that was the case, I wouldn't be able to work in this business. <laughs> and it, it was so a pot calling the kettle black. And now, if you take that to the next step where we're really benefiting, where our team is having fun coming to work and they're bringing, there's more good than bad. And I think 10 years ago, we all thought it was bad when you brought the personal relationships to work. You can't separate them. You might as well have, have people that enjoy being at work together and have those personal relationships. Brilliant. That's awesome. Dave, any final thoughts from you? No, this is just, uh, I was, I was uh, really wanted to get uh, Tim's perspective because again, the, the, the name is just uh, phenomenal in the industry and is respected by all manufacturers. And I wanted to get his perspective on, you know, what the secret sauce is, what, what do they do differently? And the reality is, and Kathy, you just said it, they, they treat people like they want to be treated. They treat them with respect. They listen to what they say. They they try to be flexible to their needs and balance family and work. All things easy to say, tough to do, and that's what creates a culture. And it's it's through actions, not through words. And I just I I, I give you all the credit and the kudos in the world for the organization. And 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 Tim, you had awfully big shoes to fill in in. Uh, the organization hasn't missed a beat. It's accelerated. And so your dad's got to be awfully proud of what you've done too. But it's just, uh, it's, it's, I wish it was tougher than that. I wish you had a, a secret ingredient that nobody else has, but it's, it's so basic and it's so fundamental and so few people get it. I give you all the credit in the world for, for pulling it off and executing, executing it over time. Oh, thank you, Dave. I, I must tell you that I didn't have to fill those shoes. He still works with me every day, talks to me a couple of times. And um, I, I, I knew early on if I just tried to fill those shoes, there was going to be a problem because he's, he's an amazing man and um, we have an amazing team. And all I wanted to do was be a part of this team and continue to, to cheer for the team that's here. And that's working for us. And I think part of our secret sauce is we stick to our knitting up here in Wisconsin and let everybody else figured out in the rest of the world we're not trying to change the industry we're just trying to change what we have right here in wisconsin we're not afraid to share it because if the industry does change that would be awesome and you know to to have people say wow i want to be in the car business and not even have had the bergstrom brand with it or a name with it that that's a win for all of us right so well thank you tim thank you for your generous spirit and thank you for your leadership in this industry the Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.